Welcome to the At A Total Loss podcast, where lost moms candidly talk about their experiences with stillbirth that have left them at a total loss for words. It is through our stories that we hope to give you support, motivation, friendship, and maybe a laugh or two. But most importantly, we hope to give you light in the darkest moments of your life. I'm Catherine, a lost mom to my beautiful son Brody, who was born still at 36 weeks on January 18, 2022. While trying to survive the sadness and find answers as to why he died, I found this community of incredible women willing to share their journey, experiences, and sometimes margaritas so that I didn't feel alone. They helped me survive, and I hope we can do the same for you. So grab some wine and some tissues as we navigate this awful world of stillbirths that has left us all at a total loss. <laughs> well, I wanted to just start off by asking, you know, I want you to tell me about Patrick and his journey. Okay. Well, this is, you know, I think you said it's it's a hard topic, but at the yeah. same time, it's kind of a great, great topic, which sounds weird because we love to talk about our babies mm -hmm. and we never have that opportunity. I mean, not never, but rarely to be able to be in that kind of environment in that safe space to be able to just lay it all out there, no judgment, and talk to others who understand what's going on. Um, so our journey starts back um, in 2018. Um, I found out very unexpectedly that I was pregnant um, and my husband Pat and I were very excited and nervous as hell, absolutely nervous as hell. And then, um, you know, the whole pregnancy was completely normal, no red flags, you know, picture perfect on paper. Um, and then we had found out the gender, um, you know, 20 week anatomy scan. Again, everything's great. We found out we're having a boy. Um, full disclosure, I had a little bit of gender disappointment. I was like, you know, this isn't how I thought that my you know, motherhood journey was going to look. And so I think I was really, I don't know, let not, I was excited, but I was a little bit like, oh, okay, it's this okay. is different. So this normal. is different. Mm -hmm. um, and I think a lot of women, yeah, a lot of women go through that. Um, but I bring that up because I'll, I'll circle back to that yeah. later. Um, but then in uh, May of 2019, I went to my regular 24 week appointment and I had talked to the, the the nurse who was in there and said, you know, I haven't been feeling as much movement um, as I should be, you know, as I have in the past, and I'm concerned. She said, okay, um, you know, we'll I'll make sure that the doctor checks you out, and you know, we'll do the Doppler and everything. Everything's fine. The babies are sometimes, you know, just a little unpredictable. Um, and then the doctor came in, and it wasn't my regular physician. It was another one in the practice. So I was already like a little bit, you know, whatever, but I'm chill. So it was fine. And then, yeah. and then I told her my same concerns. She again was like, it's not a big deal. Like everything's okay. We'll do the Doppler. So I'm, you know, laying there doing the Doppler and that mom intuition came in and I'm like, I know, I just know something is wrong. And she said to me, I can find your heartbeat. I hear your heartbeat. And then it was, she was like, okay, I'm, try, I'm trying. And she didn't say the words, I don't hear his heartbeat. It was just, we're going to get you into ultrasound to make sure that, you know, we can find it. Sometimes it's a little difficult to find. So, you know, got dressed, walked down to ultrasound. The ultrasound tech wasn't there that day. So she was doing it. They had to boot everything up. And of course, like this whole time, my mind is just absolutely racing what's what's happening what's going on um laid down you know you you when you're pregnant you just know you you know the sound of your baby's mm -hmm. heartbeat and it it becomes just such a piece of you and a peace of mind every time you hear it and that connection I think is so strong mm -hmm. and and it was silent and and she said um I'm gonna get another doctor to come in here and confirm but I'm really sorry Kelsey um your baby has no heartbeat. And so immediately, um, you know, it's like even now, almost, mm -hmm. you know, three years, over three years later, my mm -hmm. stomach, it's still like, oh my gosh, like those words, you know, just are like a punch to the gut. Um, and she got another doctor that came in um, 
you know, basically confirmed everything. And I was just sitting there. They're like, you need to call your husband and he needs to come. And so I'm like, I don't, I, I mean, I was in absolute shock. I had no idea what, what to think. I couldn't process anything. I'm like, this can't be real. This is a dream, a horrible dream. Um, and, and so I called my husband. He didn't answer. I mean, it was the middle of the work day. And I just texted him and said, you need to call me. We lost the baby. And he like immediately called me. Um, he, we actually lived right next to the doctor's office, which was also the hospital that we delivered at. Um, and so he ran there, like legitimately got running shoes on, ran there, um, got there and they put us in this room where they usually do the, the non-stress tests. Um, so it was kind of weird to be in that kind of room and, you know, they sat us down and, and kind of went over everything. And he was, he was pretty emotional and I was just like, was not processing at all, um, had completely kind of it's like a state of shock. Yes, absolute yeah. state of shock. Absolutely. Um, and then they were talking us through and, you know, just I don't even really remember. I think I blacked out mm-hmm. kind of. And then I remember them saying. And now for the even worse part, um, since you're so far along in pregnancy, we'll have to induce you and you'll have to deliver. And I was so freaking naive before because I was like I don't know maybe the baby just disappears or I don't know what happens you know I had never even thought about it which I think goes to show you know how how little we talk about Mm. miscarriage and stillbirth because there's not even that awareness of anyone I mean I was not I was not aware at all and now you know, I talk about it all the time. And even still to this day, people, my friends are like, wait, so you, you delivered? Like, yes, absolutely. I mean, it's just, and I, and I can't fault them for it because I had no idea. I had no idea. Um, So, so they said that they explained that and they said, you know, we can send you over to the hospital right now and we can begin the induction or you can go home, get some sleep and then Come yeah, back okay. in the morning. And I'm yeah, like, right. I'll go sleep right yeah. away. What? <laughs> and all I was thinking at the time was like, I just need to get out of here. Like, mm-hmm. I am going to scream. I need to get out. I need to not be here. This all just needs to go away. And so I said, tomorrow. You like, did? I did. Because <gasps> okay. I was like, I knew I wasn't going to sleep. Like, there was no way I was sleeping. But I was just like, maybe maybe it's wrong like maybe i'll wait yeah. and see if there is some some different outcome and i think i wanted to process it and also talk to pat my husband about it and just see you know i don't know what what happened um and so we went home and i don't even really remember i think i called my mom and my sister is my dad um you know some of my closest friends i really don't even remember it was just such a state of shock and and so then the next morning we went we went to the hospital um, and then I was induced and they did like I think it's called a Folian balloon or something mm, yes, like that. Did not, you have that? Yeah. yeah. Um, painful as hell. Like that was not fun. Um, the induction was not fun. The um, contractions were horrible, absolutely horrible because our bodies weren't I mean, my body was was not quite at full term. So. Well, they it were was also, not, I think, not inducing ready. us on steroids, like yeah. typically not what yes. they would do yes, because and it would harm the baby, but right. baby's already gone. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so I know that usually it's called Pitocin. Mm-hmm. Is that the... Mm-hmm. Um, so usually you take it orally. I mm-hmm. know they inserted it also vaginally mm-hmm. um, in order to kind of speed that up even more. And so they just kept pumping it and pumping it and pumping it. Um, and then... Did you have an epidural? I did. Okay. I did, um, which, thank God, um, yeah. <laughs> because I think that was, you know, it was just so much pain and um, was having really bad contractions. And then it was, we were there, we got there, I was born the 10th. So we got there on the morning of the 9th. Mm-hmm. It was so, it was almost a full 24 hours okay. um, until he was born. Um, he was born at it was 10 13 in the morning mm-hmm. um on may 10th and um you know the whole night before they gave me 
a sleeping pill again something they wouldn't give you if nope you your baby was still alive um and then then they delivered him and or well i delivered him and they they helped right um and then uh you know i held him and it was was the craziest thing and i don't know if you experienced this but it was simultaneously the saddest and happiest moment of my life it's unreal it's 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 crazy Mm -hmm. i think unless you experience it it's so hard to understand Mm -hmm. because your hormones and your the neurotransmitters in your brain are telling you hey you just delivered a baby this is the greatest thing in the entire world Mm -hmm. your body doesn't know Mm -hmm. your brain doesn't know and but your heart knows Mm -hmm. and and so it's just this weird different kind of feeling um but and and pat kept saying to me i don't know how you're holding it together how are you okay right now? And I was just like, look at look at what we created. Look at this beautiful, perfect human. Um, he's so special. He's so perfect. Mm-hmm. And he's ours. And and we made him. Mm-hmm. And and so I was just trying to not not even trying to focus on the positive. That was just my natural reaction. And I think I can't give myself credit. It was definitely my my brain just yeah. took over. But I'm so glad that I had that as as my experience at that time. I mean, that was for, you know, maybe a, an hour or so. And then, you know, obviously it kind of just went back back and forth where it was like extreme happiness, joy, and then absolutely just distraught and just in disbelief of why is this happening? Yeah. Why is this me? When am I going to wake up? This can't be real. Yeah. Um, and I think... You know, it was it was a mind trick on you because I'm holding him. He's there in my arms. I'm looking down at him, and they looked like you know they're sleeping. Mm-hmm. And and you just think in your mind, oh, it's just this peaceful sleeping little baby. He's gonna wake up. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of other moms I've talked to, you know, experience that same kind of thinking of. You know, your your mind is just playing a trick on you and you think that they're going to wake up or, or they're going to move or something. And I remember at one point his his arm was up, you know, kind of like against his head like this. And it kind of just moved a little, which obviously he wasn't moving. Um, but it was just that that trick oh. of, oh, my gosh. And I, and I remember I said to Pat, like, oh, my gosh, his his arm just moved. He's like, Mom, stop taking pictures of me because I had mm-hmm. been taking pictures which were never enough you know there's never going to be enough um but yeah so that was kind of interesting um kind of funny I guess if you think about it you know sounds normal (laughs) to me which we're this normal that people don't get I always say we're weird as shit like we are like this is normal though yeah to jump in and out of reality at that moment and just have to keep bringing yourself back and then these waves of emotions are insane and no one understands it really walk me through how the the staff was like the nurses the doctor what did they do at this point yeah so great question they so my my doctor who was my ob throughout my pregnancy minus the appointment and then she wasn't on call she was there the entire day when i was in labor and then she wasn't on call when i delivered so another doctor in the practice delivered um she was fantastic she actually had practiced in germany earlier in her career Mm -hmm. and germany is way ahead of the u.s in terms of i want to circle back to that yeah that's what i'm hearing we will um so she actually said you know i spent a lot of time working with stillbirth moms lost moms um and learning from how it is in germany about this culture of how important it is to have that moment to hold your baby to spend time with them, to name them, to do other basic things for them. Um, and so she was amazing. And I think that if I didn't have, you know, her, I wouldn't have, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I would have. Maybe I wouldn't have. I uh, just felt felt comfortable enough. Um, but I think also part of it is you, you feel a little bit embarrassed and ashamed. Mm-hmm. At mm-hmm. least I did. Um, Oh, yeah. I think it's natural to blame yourself. I mean, I think that's a very, very, very common thing for 
miscarriage and and any type of pregnancy loss, stillbirth, um, anything, you you blame yourself. And so in that moment, I was thinking, oh my gosh, like, is this my fault? Mm -hmm. You know, what could I have changed? Was it something I ate? Was it something I did? You know, I I had been exercising throughout pregnancies. It was like, did I do too much? Did it, you know. How long did you obsess over the what, what did I do? What happened? And going over and over and over the days leading up to Patrick's death. Oh, my gosh. Do you remember? I mean, months. Yeah. Months. And and this is probably jumping ahead to later in the conversation. But I think even now, I would say, so I was doing really well with my grief after probably the one year mark. Then I kind of took a, you know, a turn to corner, was doing much better. Um and then maybe in the past year, mm-hmm. it kind of crept back up and I started thinking. And what I really think happened is I was starting to process it all. I Interesting. Think, I think I really, really was processing it. Um, I processed it to an extent before, but in the past year, I, I've really thought about it. So even I think I've thought about it more, um, not as much as, as the couple months after his death, but definitely... Um, a lot in the last year what do you do when these they're almost invasive thoughts because we know it wasn't something we did we know i mean what do you do when that happens and these thoughts come in do you sit in them and go over all the details again and do the facts again or talk to somebody who was there or remembers or do you say nope not today i can't do this and you move along how do you cope with that yeah. Um, so I started seeing a new therapist about a year ago because I got to the point where it was really difficult to function um, in everyday life. And that was my main thing with her. It's like, am I going to be broken forever? Mm. Is this going to be what my life looks like yeah. forever? I can't keep, you know, functioning like this. It's mm-hmm. just not who I am. Um, and so we really spent a lot of time looking at those thoughts and talking about the thoughts that I have. And her advice to me was when that invasive thought comes into your mind, you know, you can do two things. You can look at it, you can address it and then say, okay, that's not true and move on. Mm -hmm. Or you can get to the point where you say, no, I'm not letting that thought even come in at all. Um, And then really third option, which is not the best option, is that you let it take over, which is what I had been doing. and then you just go down this rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. Um, but we started doing, in January of this year, um, EDMR, which is a type of therapy. Yes, which I girl. Think, I'm a fan. I know. <laughs> I'm a big fan, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a type of therapy, for, for those that don't know, um, where you're really focusing on a specific traumatic event or something that really is painful. Mm-hmm. Um, they started doing it, I believe, with veterans. That's that's pretty much how it came came to play. Um, and and you almost get into a trance. Yeah, it's <laughs> weird. It's weird. And yeah. even the therapist when I went, so I did ART, which is yeah. similar. She was like, "It's weird, right?" I'm like, "Yeah, yeah but you you shouldn't say that." She's like, "No, it's really weird. Your yeah. brain's a weird place." Yeah, but it, it works. Yes, yes. And so I did that. We did a session. Basically, you know, you focus on on an event. They tell you, at least this was my experience. They touch my mic. Um, <laughs> it's fine. There's mics they, everywhere. Okay. Um, they, she said, okay, focus on one thing. What is it? What is it that you want to focus on? What is the most painful? And I said, the hospital room, being in there and everything associated with it. She was like, okay, we're going to go through. We're going to visualize that. We're going to go through every single little detail and there might be things that come up that you didn't even think of or that you've buried for the past two and a half years and so we kind of went there you Mm -hmm. know um and and there were different things that we would come up with afterwards and we would be discussing them in different details and then that led to more you know basically talk therapy conversations and so we did an hour session once a week for basically five months you did wow Yes. And I mean, I don't think I told you this, but I graduated. What? So, yes. <laughs> I mean, graduated, you know? So she said, I feel like you're in a really good place now. And and I had been at the place where when you start, they say, okay, what are 
what are your feelings right now, physically and emotionally, when you when you bring up the hospital room? When that thought pops into your brain, what do you feel? Mm-hmm. And at first it was my entire body tensed up. It felt like I had been punched in the stomach. My hands started sweating. I was like almost shaking. My heart started racing. And anytime I talked about, you know, kind of really any of that trauma that happened there, that was the physical response. The fast mode, right? Yes, exactly. And then fast forward five months later, I'm sitting in her office and we're just discussing, you know, everything. And she's like, you look so relaxed. And I'm like, I don't feel like physically, I don't feel the trauma right now. I just feel like I can openly talk about it and feel absolutely fine. That's damn good therapy. That's what th- good therapy looks like. Yes. Do you do talk therapy as well? Yes. So now that's kind of yeah. what our what we've moved into okay. is is really more of of the talk therapy aspect of it, and and it's kind of changed, mm-hmm. you know, from there. But really, I've only met with her once since since I graduated. So, um, yeah. But it's it's I highly recommend. I you know, and that's that's. I do too. I actually looked at her because in the very beginning of losing Brody, they were putting me on a lot of pills and the pills were not working for me. They work for some people and I'll give them that, but they were kind of making me feel darker. I don't know. And it was just really challenging. And my OB looked at me and was like, if you want to get pregnant anytime soon, you got to get off these because I was popping Xanax like Tic Tacs and it was not healthy (laughs) for your girl. Okay. They were great, but it did its trick for the first couple of weeks so I could function. But I was like, I got to get myself together. And I remember looking at my therapist and I was like, so you're telling me I'm going to be able to think of this moment. So for me, my, my movie or my image was uh, the day that I found out he was gone and it was crippling when I would think about it and I said so let me get this straight after an hour I'm going to be better and I can talk about it and she's like yeah I'm like am I cheating like shouldn't I like be miserable for like a decade and she was like no it's just good therapy and it's science and I was like okay I'm in I did it too I was sweating felt like my eyes were like gonna fall out of my head I mean it's intense it's really intense really sad and emotional so yes if you listen and go and do this have someone drive you like I would have wrecked the car (laughs) it was bad but it does work and and we don't talk about it too much around. And I think it's really popular um, in this community because there's so many traumatic moments that we go through. And I've even been told that it'll help us move forward. I mean, yes, you went on to have grace. Yes. And I'm trying to conceive. And it's wild what comes back into play. And I want to go back. Did you ever find out what happened to Patrick? Yes. So, I mean, yes and no. Okay. We did. Um a ton of tests afterwards I did you know full workup everything and they can't say conclusively what they think it is but they did find out that I have a clotting disorder factor mm-hmm. five Leiden um and and they believe that there was a a clot that was in the umbilical cord that that happened um, but they never saw it or did they they okay so this is crazy so after my appointment where they told me and I decided I'm going to wait until tomorrow to go to the hospital. They said there's actually a high-risk specialist who's in this building that we have a relationship with. We want you to go up there to her office since she has, you know, the high-tech ultrasound machine. Maybe she can see something that might have been a cause. And so, you know, this is after just finding out that my baby died. I'm going to this other doctor's office where there's pictures of babies Mm. you know in the lobby which the worst the worst (laughs) and then uh so she she again said I think there could be a clot in here there could be a small knot she couldn't really tell from that um and then even when they looked at everything afterwards we decided not to have an autopsy um just because at the advice of my OB she said it's really difficult with stillbirth to determine a an actual reason and she was like you can do it if you want to but it's really a personal choice and I don't know if that would bring you any closure or Mm -hmm. any answers based on you know what she had seen in person and and we decided you know we're not going to do that I think you know for me it's a very very personal decision but for us it was we we just didn't want to put him through that 
Um, and so we did all of the testing, and that's when they said um, I found out about Factor Five. So you found out after after you lost him. Yes. Had you had any previous history with clots that None. you knew of? None. So by the advice of your OB, you did some more blood work to find out if there was an issue with the clot. Yep. Okay. Yeah. And then moving forward, did they immediately put you on blood thinners or? So, yes. So also what's crazy is that I had this clotting disorder and you're never supposed to be on the pill when you Girl, have it. Because I have factor two. I cannot believe I was on that damn pill for my almost my whole life. I can't believe I didn't die. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> I mean, really, though, I, I couldn't believe it. I was like, wait a second. What? I saw a hematologist. She was like, absolutely never. This, that's never. so wild. Same so thing wild. Here. And I mean, I could talk all day probably about why all women aren't tested for okay, this, this is before where I'm you at go a, on the pill. To- I'm at a total loss for this. They told me that they do not test women if they've never had a loss. And I'm like, oh, cool. Okay, yeah, so, so now that I've had trauma one, first, yeah. I don't get that. And no. then then they told me, well, because you even if we found out you had it, again, I have factor two. Factor five is a little bit more serious. Yeah. Um, even if they found out I had it, they still would not have put me on blood thinners with Brody because I'd never had a history of a clot. And I'm like, interesting. They wow. then said to me, even if Brody lived, we still would not put you on blood thinners for your second pregnancy because you've never had a history with a clot or had a loss. I'm like, hold on. So then I go to what? a hematologist. The hematologist basically laughs me out of the room and is like, everyone has factor two. There's nothing. I'm not going to treat you. My maternal fetal medicine is like, I'm not going to treat you. There's no reason oh to. Oh, my God. So I'm, at, I'm completely confused. So please enlighten me and everyone else because this is such a big deal sometimes that we are just like oh oops you have a genetic blood disorder that we didn't know you had so let's just be careful next time so you don't lose another baby right kids it's, it's bullshit it's <laughs> such bullshit it's I mean wild I can't I can't even um yeah so I I got pregnant again after Patrick died um I think it was four months later I mean we can Props talk about that we can talk about that too um but it was probably I wasn't mentally ready. I definitely wasn't mentally ready because I was just such in the thick of grief and wanting to just be pregnant again. Um, I yeah. knew it wasn't going to be the same baby, obviously. Um, but I was just, I need, I need this. Um, and so I got pregnant. My I went to the same OB who saw me throughout Patrick's pregnancy. She was familiar with my factor five. She started me on baby aspirin. Um at the very beginning, as soon as I had found out, which I think maybe I was six weeks when I when I went in, and then you know we went over everything. She was so fantastic about it, and then I started seeing the uh, high risk specialist at I think maybe eight weeks, mm-hmm. and that's when I started the blood thinners, Lovenox, um, which are injections, and so I was on those the entire pregnancy up until I think thirty five weeks, and then I switched to heparin, which is another um and blood thinner why did they choose to do this do you know to prevent to prevent clots mm-hmm. even though you had no really en- evidence yeah. of it yeah okay. i mean they they believe they strongly believe that there was a clot in okay. the umbilical okay. cord so they were saying yes so from what i have researched on my own and again yikes i am Brave not one. i am not an md <laughs> so do not do your own research talk to your physicians but um the baby aspirin is supposed to help the baby mm-hmm. and then the Lovenox or whatever blood thinner that you're injecting is supposed to be to help prevent the clots from your side of things. So a lot of those are hereditary. So again, they wanted to test um, when I was pregnant with Grace, they wanted to test Pat as well to see if he possibly had had this interesting clotting disorder, in which case I think they would have probably advised us maybe it wouldn't be a successful outcome to have mm-hmm. babies because there's a mm-hmm. higher chance that there could be a, a blood clot that could maybe not result in a living baby again. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, and in, in speaking with my hematologist that I've started seeing after Grace was born, um, she told me, next time you get a pregnancy test, she said, call your mom and then call me. 
She said, I should be. I like like that. I I like that a lot, actually. Can I text you at any time of the day? Right. She's like, I should be your second phone call. She's like, it's okay. You can tell your mom first, but then then call me. I'm okay. I will. Um, And she's like, and we will put you on Lovenox immediately, Um, which is interesting just because, you know, if I, I mean, I'm not pregnant right now. I'm not trying to conceive or anything. But when I do, you know, it's good to know that. And I know that there have been. A lot of other women with clotting disorders whose hematologists have told them you should start the Lovenox prior to a positive pregnancy test while you're trying to conceive. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not familiar with with that personally, so I can't really speak to that. But that's just you know something that I found as well, which so is you're interesting. Not on it right now? No, no. Okay. And a lot of times they have you continue after birth. Mm-hmm. Um, usually six weeks is the normal, and they they said to me, "No, you don't need to be to be on it." after delivery um Hmm. which i was kind of like wait maybe i should because i've heard that so many other people have been on it but it was okay how was the pregnancy with grace um it was so hard yeah so hard i mean losing patrick was the hardest thing i've ever done in my life being pregnant with her was the second hardest wow it was i mean just the anxiety. You're not naive anymore. You know what could potentially happen. Um, and that was scary. That was really scary. And I mentioned earlier, we lived right next to the hospital where my doctor's office was. And again, they were so great. My first appointment there, she's like, you live right around the corner. Come in anytime you want. We will look at you. We will do a Doppler. We will do an ultrasound. If you need to be seen, just for peace of mind and to make sure everything's okay, you could come in every day if you wanted, which to me was just it's incredible. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. Um, and I didn't end up going every day. Yeah. <laughs> because that would be insane. Um, but no, <laughs> thought I about it. I thought about it on certain times. occasions. I mean, <laughs> and at this point, I was seeing, I was going there twice a week already for scheduled appointments and then also was seeing the MFM once a week. Mm-hmm. Um, up until I think 20 weeks and then I went to once a week at the OB twice a week with the MFM um, throughout the rest of mm-hmm. pregnancy and then was also doing I think once 30 weeks hit I was doing the non-stress tests in addition so I mean I lived at I lived at the doctor's office which I was completely fine with and <laughs> totally totally okay with it um, but yeah I mean it was really hard well, I have to ask, when Patrick died, how how did you put one foot in front of the other? What what was your timeline? What did grief look like? Oh my gosh. It was it was bad. It was really bad. I mean, I was just broken, mm-hmm. completely shattered, laying in bed, didn't eat. Um, I remember I think back to it now, which is funny to me, but Someone had written in a pregnancy group about how do you lose the baby weight? And I just, <gasps> I was so, I was so depressed at the time. I was like, I don't know. I haven't been eating. So it just all came off. Jesus. Oh my God. <laughs> because I was so depressed that I couldn't, I couldn't do anything. Yeah. I didn't shower. I barely got out of bed. Um, I was just a ghost of myself constantly crying not sleeping um I remember talking to my mom and saying I just I can't sleep she's like your body thinks that you need to be awake to feed a baby right now Mm. and I was like yes absolutely true and like we were saying earlier our bodies didn't know Mm -mm. that our babies weren't there anymore um and so you still have these reactions my milk came in Mm -hmm. so that was just another giant fuck you of god it's the worst (laughs) god it's the worst like a baby would cry like on the other side of the state and i would just start leaking i'm like what is happening i know and then so unfair it is it really is um and really the only thing that got me out of bed honestly was my dog the fact that i had to take him out and i remember so it was crazy because Again, the mental gymnastics that your brain goes through. And we could see the hospital from where we lived. And I would take my dog out at night 
and I would just look up and I could see the hospital in the air, like in the foreground. The and worst. Then, yes. But then I also would look up and I would see all of these stars. Mm-hmm. And I just remember thinking, that's him up there. Like that star right there. You know, I would always find this one. And I don't know, maybe it was the North Star or something. I'm not an astrologist, so I have no idea. But it was... Brightest <laughs> and shiniest. Exactly. I was like, that's my son up there. Um, and so I began to associate that with him, which I think really helped. Um, still, even when I drive by the hospital, I think to myself, I'm like, is he just running around in there? Is he... You know, and I know logically that's not true. Mm-hmm. That's crazy to think. But I'm like, is he just this cute little toddler that's running around you know making silly faces at the nurses and doctors and you know whatever because for me it was like that's where I left him mm-hmm. that's where we said goodbye um we chose to cremate him yeah. so we have um a cute teeny tiny little urn that that we take with us you know it's it's in our new house um we put it there we have a special spot for him there and and I think that for for us that really helped having him with us um has been really special and another you know going back to unfair things I had ordered this you know rocking chair glider from Pottery Barn Kids and of course you know you have to order it the custom one one. yep yep Uh six weeks in advance or whatever Mm -hmm. it is and so of course I ordered it and then it arrived like a month later after he died and just like of course of course and and so we put it in there and I had I basically created this little Patrick corner nook and so I had his rocker there I had his pictures I had his urn I had this teddy bear that we got in the hospital that I've you know gone on to associate with him and and I would journal Mm -hmm. and I would write letters to him and I would just sob absolutely sob and I would just find myself sitting in that chair um, you know, at times with with the cabbage on my breasts because uh, they were leaking and yeah, the chair so that yeah <laughs> the, the chair uh, that I can thought feel that, them now <laughs> yeah, the chair I thought that I would be nursing him in yeah. and God, and you know so I I wasn't but it did become very therapeutic to me to kind of have that spot that was his space um, and so that was that was kind of a good thing I think too yeah, you sounded very mentally strong kind of early on where did you did you start seeking out anything at a certain point where you're like damn I gotta get my shit together or were you just like I gotta come up with a way to continue to survive this what how did you find some way of coping or getting through it yeah so I think and thank you for that because you know I think I I maybe I have imposter syndrome always where I'm like no I wasn't that strong you know because you feel so shattered but um Thank you for acknowledging that. Um, it was definitely very, very difficult. I think I went back to work maybe five or six weeks later. Did that help? Maybe. I mean, I think it was, yeah. again, I was just going through this fog of, okay, life has to go on. So this is what I need to do when I don't want to lose my job. So I guess I'll do this as a distraction. But my work before before Patrick, I was an overworker. I mean, mm-hmm. I was I'm type A, so I'm like I, you know, I'd be staying late, I would be doing everything full out best of my ability and then after I was like, no. I just don't give a fuck. Like I can't do anything <laughs> anymore and I don't care yeah. and I'm just going to show up and my body's going to be there, but mentally I'm somewhere else. Um and then maybe a couple weeks after that, Pat had really been super strong for me and he was you know I think kind of put his grieving on hold and then there was definitely a shift where he became absolutely just stuck and shattered and for me I was like we both cannot be like this and now I need to be that person for him as he was for me in the past two months so I think for me that was my get your shit together moment of okay I've got to do this for my partner Like, we're going through this together. We're a team. We're going to help each other out. And we're the only two that know exactly what each other went through. And so that was kind of my moment of change. Did coaching someone else kind of help you get stronger? Absolutely. And around that same time, I actually started going to a support group. um, And that was incredible. Mm -hmm. I mean, having that community and, again, having someone who knows 
what it's like you just feel like you don't need to to hide anything you're not yeah. you're not worried about other people's feelings and I'm, I'm a very empathetic person um so i'm always worried oh my gosh am i going to offend someone by what i say now i was just no going to say are you still that empathetic <laughs> no, person no definitely not definitely not <laughs> um now i'm like i don't care if this makes you feel uncomfortable it's my life so i'm going to talk about it and i'm going to lay it all out there and i don't care um but before i think i was just so worried about talking to people about it and and what were they going to think what were they going to think of me which is so silly to think back now now i don't care i will tell everyone my story you know i love it um and the details most of the details um how did friends and family respond it was mixed um i had a lot of really good friends that that were there for me that were calling me um when we moved to Atlanta, we knew absolutely zero people here. So that made it v- even more isolating. Um, and I remember Pat saying, well, should we call Should we call your parents? Should we fly them down when we were in the hospital? And again, I was just in that state of shock where I was just like, no. And, and I've always been the strong person in my family. I've always been the one where I feel like I have to be the glue that kind of holds everyone together. I'm the oldest sister, so, you know, I do a lot of mitigating of drama with two younger sisters. (laughs) Um, And I've really never cried or had, you know, kind of that emotional break around my my family, which is is weird. Um, And so I was almost afraid of of what would they, what would they think, how would they react by seeing me as not myself and actually showing my emotions. Mm And they came down a couple days later. I do one of my biggest regrets. I don't like to have regrets, but one of my biggest regrets is not having anyone in our families come down and see Patrick and meet him and hold him. Um, and and I hate that that I didn't make that decision. Yeah. But you know, I can't look back on that because it's the past, and I was in such a state of shock and grief that I couldn't even really process you what did. that would look like and what the yeah. future what that would look like. Um, and I don't know, it was it was hard. And then I think even maybe two years later or something, I was in Florida walking with my sister-in-law and she was telling me something. She was like, oh, yeah, my boss was really great when Patrick died. Like I went into her and I was just absolutely hysterical. And I looked at her and I was like, wait, what? <laughs> and I don't know why it was so shocking to yeah. me, but I was like, wow he affected other people like other people grieved him other Mm -hmm. than us Mm -hmm. and I think for me that was such a huge turning point in Mm -hmm. that realization I don't know why I thought that oh no this is this is only our child to grieve that no one else is grieving him um and I think that that really has been a big change for me also in in therapy of of realizing that um that he managed other people as well and I think as a mom you just want your your child to be validated and you want want people to know that they exist and they're real and and they were here and their life matters yeah that's that's what some people I was I was so worried to like first announce that we had lost Brody or tell anybody because what a lot of people don't understand is that this is not a cry for attention this is not a I need sympathy I need you know you to feel sorry for me that's not what this is we had a child and if it was a living child you'd know all about it trust me oh, we yeah. hear all about people's <laughs> kids all the time so the memories i have of him may be a little bit different and he's always going to be part of the family this is us just trying to honor the child that's literally it and telling our story otherwise i mean we're not going to have oh he took his first steps we're not going right. to have oh, you know, he got into a little tumble on the the (laughs) playground with another kid. We don't have that. We're just, this is the story that we went through. And you lost your first. Yeah. I lost my first. That sometimes is the most challenging part of the whole thing is because you plan so long for this baby and then the silence is deafening when they're not there. And then luckily, I mean, by the grace of God, you had grace soon after that. Um, But so, yeah, these stories are so that a people kind of understand who we are now yeah we're not the same damn i miss Catherine, who had no idea this was possible did you have any idea what a stillbirth was but when you got pregnant so i did but so my grandma uh, my dad's mom had a stillbirth when she had five children six there was her sixth child um had an umbilical cord 
oh wrapped. And so in my mind, I thought, okay, a stillbirth happens during delivery. I didn't know anything outside of that. Right. Um, I remember even just Googling about my own loss and was like, oh, it was a stillbirth, um, you know, kind of thing. I didn't know, but it does help to put a name to it, I think. Um, I want to go back to what you said about the old Catherine. Oh, God, yeah. Because I I think I told you before, I felt like I had an identity crisis. Yes. It's like, who am I? Also, the person I was before was super positive, optimistic, you know, naive. Mm-hmm. And now I like to say I'm not I'm not a pessimist, but I'm a realist. <laughs> God. I hate to laugh, but like <laughs> we were I think it was me and Liz the other day were like, Oh, it's so bad when you see someone with a pregnancy announcement or something or like someone complaining yes. about something. It's just a shift in perspective, man. Absolutely. Oh my. So do you let it fly or do you try to reel it in now? Because it's So tough. I think, yeah, I mean, it's hard. I think it depends. It depends on who it is um, and certain things. And, you know, the other day I was in this Facebook group um, and someone said, you know, my, my baby hasn't been moving as much. How do you get your baby to move around? And I wrote in all caps, go to the hospital, yes. you know, because and and I think I even said stillbirth mom here, go to the hospital. Oh, good for you. Do not wait around. Everyone yells at us for scaring people. I'm like, I want someone to scare. I yes, wish I wish someone. Me. Yes, absolutely. I wish that oh, someone had, you. Oh, you know, and so I think that the old me used to be the person who like tried to find the positive and everything where's the silver lining now i don't think that i don't think that way necessarily but i think that there is good in the bad but it doesn't mm-hmm. it doesn't outweigh what happened mm-hmm. you know i hate now when people say everything happens for a reason i'm like no do better yeah so try again yeah that was i'm a like miss. If, <laughs> um when you know if you have a baby who dies why don't you know, you tell me that um, type of thing, which it just irritates me to no end. But I do try and think, okay, what can I do? What was this purpose? You know, what was this higher power saying to me? You know, how can you help other people? How can, and I look at it in the aspect of Patrick, how can I honor him by helping others? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I try and do that in a couple of different ways and and speaking about my story, our story sharing research, talking to other people, building that awareness um, in hopes that it can help someone else and just have other people more aware. Um, I think that, especially in the U.S., um, women feel guilty about advocating for themselves, Um, especially in pregnancy. We don't have as much prenatal care as a lot of other countries do. And I think that that's a big problem. Um, you know, if, if like we were saying earlier, if we had had that full blood workup, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe the outcomes would have been different, mm-hmm. but we didn't. Um, or if, you know, I remember just kind of being a little bit afraid to say, well, I noticed this, is this normal? You know, and then I think sometimes doctors, and to their credit, I think they're trying to help you stay calm. Like, no, everything's fine. You know, not a big deal. Um but I think, yeah, sometimes sometimes we struggle with that. Um, and I lost my train of thought here, but... No, I mean, you being here is so just a testament to how strong you are. And you're, you're wanting to help other people by telling your story. And Patrick would be so proud of you. Yeah. I mean, the, the only thing we can do is try to help others in this situation. Because I know that you probably felt the same way, that that doesn't... There's no light at the end of the tunnel when you're new at this. And some days we just need a little kick in the pants that's like, you got this. So, you know, we could talk for hours and hours, but I want to end on this. If you could look a lost mom in the face right now who's either struggling or is new, what would you say to her? Gosh, that's hard. There's so much, (laughs) you know. Um, But I would say, you know, a couple of things. One is that your baby is, is real. Mm-hmm. They existed. Their life mattered. You are a mom. No matter how many children you have around you, you are a mom. You are a parent. You loved that baby. Um, and they'll, they'll always be with you. And that I think for me, you know, it's hard because our births were a bit traumatic. 
there was a lot of grief around them. And it's hard to separate the two when they're so tied together. And I think I've gotten to the point now, three years later, where I'm really starting to separate the two, where Mm. I can have those joyful memories of Patrick in the hospital and how freaking cute he was Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, remembering kissing his forehead and everything and, and just being around him, like that brings me a lot of joy and I don't have to have it attached to that trauma. And it took a lot of work to get there, Mm -hmm. but I think it is possible and, and we have to do that for our kids. You know, we have to do that for our babies because like you said, you know, we, we want to give their lives meaning. Mm -hmm. We want to make them proud and I think they would be proud of us, um, you know, and, and what we're doing. And and every time I think about it, I'm like, okay, am I posting another thing? Like, are people going to think I'm an attention seeker because of this? And then I remind myself, no, you're his mom. You're his number one advocate. If you aren't talking about him, if you aren't talking about his story, who else is? Mm-hmm. Who's carrying that for him? And that's something that I think I need to do for the rest of my life. And it's not that I need to. It's, it's part of me. It's part of my story. And the last thing I'll say is one of my, one of my dear friends um, lost her mom. And we were talking about, you know, just loss in general. And she said that someone had told her, you know, it's not, it's not, I can't remember exactly, but she said, it's now part of your tapestry. Mm. This is part of your life. It's woven in. It's not this one thing that happened at one time. It's all part of it. It's threaded throughout you. Um, and for me, that really helped kind of have that visualization of this is part of who I am now. And I kind of get to write that narrative. Mm-hmm. I can decide, you know, how I share him with other people and, and what that looks like, which I think is a big help. Absolutely. Thank you for being so strong and talking about Patrick. Thank you for telling your story and the ways that you handle it. You're so damn strong I'm so proud <laughs> thank you to know you I know it was the shittiest of circumstances yes. but these relationships are so powerful and so strong so are you cool with people reaching out if yeah, they absolutely. have any questions yeah, or need support please do. where can they please find do. you so Instagram Kelsey K-E-L-S-E-Y dot Heslin H-E-S-L-I-N that's my my username I love it yeah Thank it's not anything so exciting, but it's just it's me. Girl, <laughs> I think we got enough highs yeah. and lows and excitement <laughs> going on in this weird, weird, weird world of grief. Yeah, um, well, thank you so much for having me. I mean, this is this is great. And like I said, we could talk about our babies for hours. And, oh, yeah, we'll and, do this again. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> well, I love you and I love Patrick. Thank yeah, you so much, love girl. Love you. Bye. <laughs> That's all for this episode of the At A Total Loss podcast. If you'd like to help other lost moms benefit from our stories, please share, rate, and comment wherever you are listening. Thank you for being the strong mama that you are. And remember, when things have you at a total loss, we're here to help you find the light in the darkness. Take care, lost moms.